We are currently studying the book of Revelation, and I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 16. A lengthy text today is verses 10 through 21. There's much for us to cover, and I'm so honored by the Lord that He has given me this task to be able to preach uh, verse by verse through the book of Revelation, and I want to commend you and I want to thank you for your prayers especially like a text today. It's a, it's a very difficult, sobering, uh, somber word from the Lord, a book of prophecy, a, a word that we desperately need to hear today. And so I thank you for your prayers. I thank you for your attentiveness and listening and, and praying with me. Now, these are interesting days in which we live. I don't think anybody would disagree with that. Um, a lot of pulpits today across America are addressing their congregation and speaking about what is going on in the nation, and, and I tell you, there are people sitting in this room, and I'm sure listening to us um, online, who, uh, who would love for me to just come out guns a-blazing and tell us uh, uh, how hard things are and how we're going to pay for what we have done. And then there's a whole other group of people that are looking to me for grace and mercy and compassion. How would you like to be me today? I mean, really? There are, some, there are some Sundays that are hard, and there are some texts that are very, very difficult. But that's why I began by saying I'm so honored of God that He would choose me, select me to stand before you today. And I'm just going to share this text with you from my heart. I'm going to share it with you from a place of compassion and also a place of passion. Uh, my, my ultimate goal in, in life and in ministry is John 1.14. It says that the Word became flesh, that Jesus Christ came to this earth. And the Bible says that he was full of two things. He was full of grace, and he was full of truth. And let me say that again. He was full of grace and full of truth. And that's what I want to portray to you every time I preach. And I, I want to live this. I want to, I want to be a person that is characterized by not only grace, but also truth. And I, like many of you, like most of you, I, I am concerned. I am in disagreement with the decision that was cast by the highest court in the land by a vote of five to four to totally redefine something that God has created and that God has made holy. And of course, I'm talking about uh, the conjugal relationship between a husband and a wife, uh, the marriage relationship. And of course, I, I disagree with it, and I'm, I'm very heartbroken over the decision. But I, I read an article the other day by a pastor in Canada. And in Canada, he says, we're about 10 years down the road where you guys are now embarking. He said, uh, homosexual marriages have been legal in our country for about 10 years now. And I just want you all to know the sky is not falling. It was, interesting. it was an interesting take on it. He went on to say, what would you expect? How can you expect lost people to behave as Christian people? And so this was helping me as I was reading this and understanding where this pastor was coming from. And, and I really understand the book of Revelation when it says there's a lot of mystery, there's a lot of things we scratch our heads on, but this much we can affirm unequivocally as children of God that God does win. He, he wins today. He wins in the end. He is absolutely the sovereign, I love this Greek word, pantocrator. He is the sovereign ruling monarch of the universe. Everything that happens, God knows it. God allows it. God is absolutely in control. He could strike us down with a bolt of lightning right now and end it, but He doesn't. In fact, He's written us a book 
to tell us very clearly how things are going to unfold. Now, this passage of Scripture to me is it's just riveting, and, and as I read it, it helps me understand the decisions that are being made in the world today, because here's what's happening. All, all over the world, there is a chasm, there is a gulf within the heart of man, a vacuum that St. Augustine called it, that can only be filled by God Himself. Now, there, there are so many religions, and radical Islam is jumping into the vacuum where evangelical Christianity has not gone. And if you'll trace where they are the strongest, it's where we in our missions are the weakest. There's a vacuum they have piled in, and it is taking over the world in, in an alarming rate. But in the West, it's not like that. In, in Europe and in our country, it's not so much radical Islam as it is hedonism and secularism and paganism. And again, whenever there is a gulf created, it's not that man will not worship. Man, we are absolutely incurably religious. All of us, even the most staunch, ardent atheists would say, you are right, we are all very religious in the sense that we will worship. We will give our time, we will give our money, we will give our energy, we will give our devotion to something or someone. Now, in America and in most of Europe, it's the sex, sexual revolution. That's, that's what people just bow down to the altar and the idolatry of, of sexual relations, and we see that even the decisions uh, here recently. But here's my take on it. In order for the world to get to Revelation chapter 16, there has to be some momentous, tectonic, seismic shifts in culture, in religion, and morality. We're not just going to wake up and read Revelation 16 without some precursors, without some events that will have to take place, because here's what's going to happen eventually. I got some bad news for you, then I got some really good news. The bad news is this. There's coming a day where there's going to be a one world religion, there's going to be one key charismatic personality figure, and most of the billions of people on planet earth are going to worship this man. He is none other than the pseudo-antichrist. And in order for the world to get there, we have to start taking steps as a culture and as a world. And so to me, that's why I'm not astonished. That's why I'm not impressed. That's why I'm not amazed as I look at the world because this is where we are heading. But here's the good news. The good news is this. God is a God of sovereignty. He is a God of amazing grace. He is a God of compassion. And He has written us a book so that when it all goes down, God can at least say, I told you so. I warned you. I gave you the book. It's just that we refused to read it. One of my mentors in the faith this past week, he, he wrote a, a powerful note, and, and he said, uh, he was crying out basically to the church. He says, when's the last time, pastor, you preached on the book of Revelation? When's the last time that you preached on the judgment of God? When was the last time you preached on the glorious second coming of Jesus Christ? And I got a little bit excited. I was like, well, I did that last week. I did that the week before that, and I did it the week, and, and, and I'm, I'm honored. I'm so honored of God, even though I come to you almost in fear and trepidation, because it's, it's just a crazy world in which we live, but I'm so grateful to God that He has left us with a record. So let me read it to you. It's a fascinating text, and then I'm going to make a few comments on it. In verse 12 it says, Now the sixth angel poured out his bowl upon the great river the Euphrates. But let me back up to verse 10. That's where I need to begin. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became full of darkness. 
and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. They blasphemed the God of heaven. And that's very important. The God that's going to receive the the criticism and the blasphemy, it's always this God. It's the God of this book, the God of Scripture, the God of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And they blasphemed Him because of their pains and their sores, and they did not repent of their deeds. That's the fifth bowl judgment. The sixth goes like this. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. John said, in this vision, I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon. That is always a reference in Revelation to Satan himself, okay? Next, I saw a demonic frog-like creature coming out of the mouth of the beast. Now, the beast is the beast out of the sea. That's always the same person. It's the Antichrist in Revelation. And then thirdly, he said, I saw this demonic frog-like creature coming out of the mouth of the false prophet. He's the beast out of the earth. We've studied these guys. He will be the false prophet in the end times that will produce these magical, amazing signs and wonders that will cause people to bow down and worship the Antichrist. For they are spirits of demons, John said. They perform their signs, which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world. Notice this, church. These signs and wonders are going to dupe the kings of the earth and the entire world, and they're going to gather them to battle on that great day of God Almighty. There's coming this mighty battle, and the lines are going to be clearly drawn. It, it, it's, it's a scene right out of J.R.R. Tolkien's uh, gr- great movie, the, the Lord of the Rings, where Gandalf comes down and he, he represents Christ in, in white, and you've got all these hordes of evil and sin, and there's going to be this massive conflagration, going to be this massive battle. But I, pos- I, I present to you today, in order to get there, there has to be things that will line up to get us to this point where there is this, such this anti-God, this hatred toward Christianity, and, and here it comes. But Jesus said in verse 15, Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches, present tense, keeps on watching, and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And they gathered them together to the place called in Hebrew Armageddon, the battle of Armageddon, or the the plain of Megiddo. And then verse 17 says, Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven, saying from the throne, It is done. And there were noises and thunderings and lightnings. And there was a great earthquake Such a mighty and great earthquake has has not occurred since men were on the earth. Now the great city was divided into three parts. The great city is, is the city of Jerusalem. And it was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon was remembered before God to give her of the cup of the wine of the fierceness of His wrath. Then every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And watch this in verse 21. And great hell from heaven fell upon men. Each hailstone weighed about the amount of a talent or a hundred pounds. A hundred pound missile from heaven in a hailstorm. Men 
blaspheme Islam. I'm sorry, that's not what it says. Men blaspheme the God of Hinduism. No. Men blaspheme the God of heaven, the one true God, because of the plague of the hell, since that plague was exceedingly great. Father, I come before you in Jesus' name. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the promise of the truth of the word of God. I thank you, Lord, for Great Hills Baptist Church. I thank you, Lord, for these men and women who have been on this journey with me these many months as we are coming sort of toward the close, the end of this powerful book, God, that you wrote, a book of really of love and compassion because you're warning all who will listen and heed. Take heed what the Spirit of God says through the Word of God to His church. Lord, may you fill us today with compassion. May we understand this text and may it change our lives in the way we live our life and in the way we treat one another, encouraging one another all the more as we see the great day approaching. Father, we need you. We trust you. We love you. Speak to us, O God. I pray, God, that we would learn much today. I pray that there would be much theology and history and education and philosophy from this pulpit today. But most of all, God, I pray that there would be power. There would be the anointing of the Holy Spirit. There would be conviction of sin. There would be a turning and a burning for the things of God. There would be a turning from sin and a turning to righteousness. For this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. When you read the the book of Revelation, you'll remember with me that there are seven, there are three sevens. There are seven seal judgments, seven trumpet judgments, and seven bowl or vile judgments. Twenty-one of these judgments that come from heaven, the author of them is God Himself, and He pours out His wrath, His anger, His indignation upon planet earth. I saw the bumper sticker, and it says, Jesus is coming back, and boy, is he mad. And when I first read that, I thought, well, that's not really true. And then I thought, yes, that really is true. And if you were Jesus, you would be a little bit upset as well. For example, in Brazil last week, I saw two naked homosexual women lying on a cross kissing one another. Now, I don't know what that does to you when you read that, when you hear that. It... It makes me angry, but more than that, it it almost makes me want to weep. Then there's a guy dressed up like Jesus in Brazil, millions of people in this parade. He's on a cross, and he's leaning over kissing another man so that the portrayal is Jesus is homosexual, and, and it's all okay. But the real Jesus of the Bible is not like that at all. He is the God of righteousness. He is a God of purity. He is a God of holiness. And so we have misrepresented him. Many in the world have created this Jesus, not the Jesus of the Bible. Like, like a lady told my wife not long ago in Austin, Ashley was witnessing to her, and, and she goes, oh, I love Jesus, but it's just not the Jesus of the Bible. I don't like him. Well, what other Jesus is there? It's a Jesus that, that we create in our mind, someone that does not demand a whole lot of, of us, and we're okay with him homosexual parade in New York City recently. Two gay men in thongs. That's gross if anything's gross. And a priest comes out of his church and they see him. And those two men go to that priest, they spin him around, and they spit in his face. And I thought, well, first of all, why would they do that to a priest? And they asked the priest, they said, why do you think that happened to you? And he said, And I thought it was an amazing response. He said, well, you know, maybe they had a bad experience with the Catholic Church, or maybe they're just hurt, or maybe they just don't understand. 
And I thought, wow, he exhibited a lot of grace and a lot of compassion. Well, I'll tell you why they did it. It's because they hate the God he represents. And there is an antagonism. There is a vitriol and a hatred towards Jesus and towards Almighty God that we see uh, precursors of it now, but it's only going to escalate into a mighty avalanche, a, a huge tsunami that's going to culminate in the great battle of the end of the age. So let's look and see how it's going to get there. First of all, there's the fifth bold judgment, and it's this judgment of darkness, verses 10 and 11. I believe that all of these preceding judgments of God in the bowls, for example, the sores and the boils, the oceans turn to blood, the rivers and streams turn to blood, and the scorching heat, I believe they're in just successive mighty waves, and in some way I believe that they're all still tied together so that this palpable, thick darkness just settles over planet earth. It says in verse 10 that the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne, his authority, his power of the beast. Now watch this. And his kingdom became full of darkness. I believe at this time the Antichrist rules not only from Babylon, but he rules all over the world. And so I believe God settles a darkness on planet earth. And the people get blasphemous toward God and they're angry and they curse at him because of the sores, because of the darkness, because of all these bowls, verse 11, and they will not repent of their sins. Verses 10 and 11 says, and they, they gnawed, they, they, verse 10 says, they gnawed their tongues because of this agonizing pain, these boils, these sores, this, this harshness, this anger, and now they can't see. They mope around in darkness, but they have the wherewithal to shake their fist up to heaven and curse the God of heaven. That's the fifth bowl. Let me, i got to go quickly like this or I will not finish. Verses 12 through 16 describes the sixth bowl, which is the drying up of the Euphrates River. Now, the Euphrates River has been here since God created the heavens and the earth. The Euphrates River is about 1,800 miles long. It starts around Turkey, Mount Ararat. Uh, it has the, the snow-capped mountains, flows into the Euphrates, and the sister river. What is the sister river called? The Tigris, exactly. And the Euphrates River and the uh, Tigris, they come together and they empty out into the Persian Gulf. And this river, the Euphrates, this mighty river, really is a demarcating line between east and west. It is about, it, it is deepest, it's only about 30 feet deep. But it is this powerful river that is known in Genesis, and we see it again here in Revelation. I believe it's not metaphorical. I don't believe it's figurative. I believe it's the literal Euphrates River that God is going to dry up and those armies of the world are going to march across that Euphrates River on their way to the battle of Armageddon. But it's not unlike God to do this. God dried up some rivers in the past. Can you help me? What, what, what two bodies of water in the Old Testament did God dry up? You remember? The Red Sea. And what was the other one? The Jordan River. Twice God did, did this. It, it's miraculous that he would be able to do this, and he does it here but it's not a kind gesture like it was in the Old Testament when God dried up the river and the Israelites came out of Egypt and then Jordan, as Joshua and the, and the men, they crossed across the Jordan River. No, this time he's drying it up and preparing people for their day of judgment. And it's the battle of Armageddon that we read about. 
You know, there's so much written about the Battle of Armageddon. I mean, I've seen entire movies with the name Armageddon in it, and there's just fascination. There's this intrigue with this battle of all battles, and we see it right here in verse 16 that they're going to be gathered together, and they're going to come and fight, and it will be the battle of all, of all battles. But I don't want you to miss, and I tried to bring it out in the public reading of God's Word, that in verses 13 and 14, you see these demonic spirits. And John sees it, and he sees who's behind all of the deception. He sees who is behind all of the anger and the hatred built up toward Almighty God. And John sees it, and there are these demonic spirits. And, I, and while I'm here, let me just say this. I hadn't planned on saying this, but how in the world do we account for people walking into a church and taking a gun and systematically just blowing people's brains out in a Baptist, in an American and Methodist Episcopal church in South Carolina, people say, oh, that poor guy, he is just mentally ill. No, that guy is filled with Satan himself. He is filled with the demons of, of hell. And people are like, yeah, but that was just in the, in the New Testament. No, it's not. It's not just in the New Testament, it's in our Testament, it's in our day. There is a devil and he is real and he fills people with anger and hatred and he causes them to do the unthinkable. But aren't you glad to know that if there are demonic spirits, then glory to God there are angelic spirits. If there is a devil full of hate and if there is a devil full of anger, then surely there is a God full of love and full of compassion. So don't, and I do believe in mental illness. I do know a little bit about that and what depression does to people, but it's far greater than that. It is this, and John sees it. He, God reveals to John, that it's almost like these frogs. Listen, frogs are not pretty creatures. I, I'm, I'm just sorry. They're, they're ugly, they're slimy, grotesque creatures. And that's what I think about frogs. But, but, but anyhow, that's, that's the depiction that John sees to describe them. But right in the middle of all of this, isn't verse 15 interesting? Jesus, he, he inserts this word. Now, some believe it would be for the rapture. Others people, other people believe that it's for the rapture and for this particular time, toward the end of time in the great tribulation, where Jesus says, I'm coming. I'm coming like a thief. Now, a thief comes suddenly. And a thief comes quickly and unexpectedly. And Jesus says, blessed makarios... By the way, this is the third beatitude of seven in the book of Revelation. Blessed, favored, happy is he who watches present tense and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. So if a thief breaks in and you're not fully clothed, then you're exposed. We all get that. We, we, all, we all can use a little bit of imagination and see what Jesus is saying here. But here's the deeper meaning that I think he's getting to. Jesus is encouraging us to be alert, to be vigilant, and to maintain purity and walking in righteousness in the midst of so much immorality. So that when He comes, His church, His bride... Now listen, no, no matter what, what do you believe, whatever you believe about the premillennial, the postmillennial, the amillennial, whether you believe there's going to be a rapture or there's not going to be a rapture, if you believe the Bible and if you are a Christian, then you do believe that Jesus Christ will come again. And he says in Matthew 25, the five wise virgins, the five foolish virgins, he says, be alert, be on the lookout, because I am coming at a time that you know not of, and when he comes, he wants us to be ready. 
He wants us to have our, our garments on. And I believe metaphorically here, he's speaking about righteousness and holiness. And I've said this before, and I want to say it again. This, this thought, this doctrine keeps me walking toward Jesus. Because when he comes, and whether that's in the rapture at first or whether it's at the end times when he comes, whenever he comes and however he comes, and by the way, I don't know all the answers. I'm just glad to know he's coming. And when he comes... I do not want to be in a compromising place. I don't want to be in a compromising position. Because when he comes, I want him to find me serving him, worshiping him, living for him. Listen, that will, that's a mighty deterrent to sin, is it not? That when he comes... You want, you want him to find you in a, in a good way. And I think that's what he's saying about this whole thief in the night uh, analogy. Okay, so he says in verse 14 as well as in verse 16, he uses this Greek word synago. It's where we get the English word synagogue. It means to gather together. And they're going to gather together in the valley of Megiddo. It's about 15 miles east of the city of Haffa on the Mediterranean Sea. And I don't know how all this is going to go down but I remember in 2008, when we were in Israel, many of you have been. And by the way, I'm going back in June if anybody wants to go with me. And so we're going to go, we'll probably go to this very place if Jesus didn't come and get us before then. There's this huge valley of Israel Haddon. It's this huge valley of Megiddo. And as far as the eye can see, it's this open, vast expanse. And it took very little imagination on my part to see it in my mind's eye because you've got this huge, it's like, it's like God just, just created it and set it right there. And somehow this amalgamation of armies are going to come together and it's not going to be contained there. I believe it'll stretch 200 miles in all of Palestine is there will be this great bloody massacre as people come together to fight against the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, having said that, in order for the world to get to that point, there has to be decisions. There has to be things that are done prior to that in order for us to get to that point. I hope that helps you. I hope that actually encourages you to say, you know, God's in control. It's going to go down just like God says, and so I'm not going to wring my hands. I'm not going to be worried. I'm not going to be fearful. Evil man is going to do what evil man's going to do, but I'm going to walk with God. I'm going to serve God. I'm going to live for Him. I'm going to wait on Him. And when He comes, I'm just so glad that I know Him. And I'm on His side, on His winning team. So here it is, this great battle of Armageddon. Adrian Rogers said this. He said, do you ever wonder, you ever wonder why, how people can follow through with a suicide bombing? They are pawns in the hands of the evil one that is driving men to cataclysm of wickedness. And if you think that is bad, just wait till the church is taken out of the world. I think that's a powerful statement. Finally today, I want to look at verses 17 through 21, the seventh bowl where the earth is shaken to its very core. In verse 17, we, we read where the seventh angel pours out his bowl into the air and a loud voice from heaven. I believe it's the voice of God. I believe it's the voice of God the Father saying, it is done. And by the way, the word mega or loud, seven of its 11 usages 
are used in this chapter right here in verses 17 through 21. It has the sense of crescendo. It has a sense of mega and, and loud and forceful. And, and, and the voice comes from heaven and says, it's over. And, and it's in the perfect tense, which is fascinating. All the perfect tense in the Greek means that it's an event that began in the past. It has current ramification, but it also has future implication. And so that one Greek verb there, it is done in the perfect tense. All of this trial and tribulation, it is coming together to the point, to a head, where it's all going to be culminated. There are thunderings and noises and lightnings. And then there's this massive earthquake, the earthquake of all earthquakes. I believe it refers to Haggai, Haggai chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, where he prophesies of a day, says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, By the way, in Hebrew, whenever you see that word, Lord of hosts, that is the word Jehovah Sabaoth. And it always means this, the God of the armies of heaven. Remember that. For thus says the Lord of hosts, one more, once more it is a little while, and I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations. And they shall come to the desire of all nations, and I will fill this temple with glory says the Lord of hosts. Now, this is not some ordinary earthquake. I believe it is a global earthquake. And notice there are three cities that it will directly impact. City number one is known as the great city, and that is the city of Jerusalem. In Zechariah chapter 14, verse 4, something has to happen for this city to be broken up into, into bits and pieces. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives will be split in two, from east to west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move toward the north, half of the mountain will move toward the south. And so I believe that Zechariah 14 is going to find its fulfillment in Revelation 16 through this massive, great earthquake. Second, John saw in his vision the cities of the nations, they fall as well. Again, this points not to a, just a San Andreas fault. It doesn't just point to one earthquake. It points, I think, to massive, multiple earthquakes. And then thirdly and finally, it says, and Babylon the Great will crumble and fall. Now, in chapter 17, we're going to, in, verse, in chapter 18, we're going to really study what Babylon is. But let me give you just a heads up what I think it is. I believe Babylon is a city. I believe it's going to be a rebuilt city, most likely along the Euphrates River. But it's more than that. The, the, the Babylon refers to a social, religious, political, spiritual rule or domain, and the person at the head of that will be none other than the Antichrist. But here is the time of judgment, and it comes, this earthquake comes, and it shifts and it changes things. And I like the way Henry Morris describes it. He says, the islands of the world will vanish. The great masses of granite and limestone and sandstone will be broken up and transported to the bottom of the sea. In verse 21, it talks about these hailstones that are coming. In verse 21, it says, and great hail from heaven fell upon men, each hailstone about the weight of a talent. Now, I've got like six pages of notes here. And if you're interested, you can, you can take it and, and read it. I've got a lot more information than what I have time to, to share. But I did do a little hailstoneology and studied hailstones. So let me, let me tell you a little bit about hailstones. 
The largest hailstone, really known to man, weighs about a pound and a half. And they have traced these hailstones all over the world. For example, in Potter, Nebraska, July the 6th, 1928, a pound and a half hailstone fell. In Coffeyville, Kansas, September the 3rd, 1970, a 1.67 hailstone. Listen, you ever been hit in the head by a pound? I don't care what it is, it's going to hurt. And this is a layered ice coming out of the heavens. In 1888 in India, 246 people died from cricket ball-sized hail that came out of heaven. And there's some documentation of the same thing happening in China. But this is unlike anything you've ever seen. If it is to be taken literal, and I do, if it's to be taken on face value, and I do, verse 21 says, Hell from heaven fell upon men, and each hailstone was the weight of a talent, which is a hundred pounds, missiles coming out of heaven. People say, well, where's God? Why don't God just come and judge this wickedness? Why don't God just come and... How, how dare those women stretch out on that cross and kiss one another in nakedness? And how dare those men grab that priest? And how dare that guy pretend to be Jesus and kiss another man? Man, where is God? When will God judge? He will judge. He will. Listen, those of you that are fired up and ready and your team is alive and you're ready, Brother Danny, you preach it and you come down hard. Let me tell you something, guys. God will judge and it will be beyond anything you've ever seen. So don't worry about that. Be more concerned in this day and age of telling people about Jesus. Be, be more concerned about getting the gospel out to people. He said, well, Brother Danny, I love you, but I, I could not disagree with you more. I, I think all of Revelation has happened in the past. I, I, I believe you're just absolutely confused. You've read too many books, and you've bumped your head somewhere, and, and you got it all wrong because this is a book of the past it's not of the book of the future. Okay, let me say this. <clears throat> Let's say I'm wrong, which is I'm wrong a lot. But if I'm wrong and I live my life as if Jesus is coming again, literally, and judgment will come on earth, am I the worst or the better for it? I think I'm the better for it because it makes me more looking for him. It makes me want to walk more in righteousness with, with him. Even as I speak, there is a sermon being preached. In fact, it just got preached <clears throat> in Arabic Baptist Church in Boston, Massachusetts. 32 Great Hills Baptist Church members are there right now. They sent me a note last night, and the pastor, they, they put the word out saying, pray for this pastor, pray for this pastor, because here's what he's going to preach on. And I thought, isn't that interesting? The pastor is a little nervous because of the title of his sermon, and he wants people to pray for him. And by the way, we've got, like I said, 32 of our church members are there. Can I give you the title of this pastor's sermon? Sure you can, brother. Danny, go ahead and give it to us. All right, here it is. <clears throat> Jesus is interceding now, but one day he will be judging. That's the title of the pastor's sermon in an Arabic Baptist church in Boston, Massachusetts. And I would just love to, whoever's preaching that, I would love to go up to them and just give them a holy hug and a holy kiss. Because that means he's got some backbone and some steel. Because this is not popular. 
I tell you, to preach through the book of Revelation, to preach through judgment, to preach through the, the hard text of Scripture, that is not the modern way to grow a crowd and to grow a church. <clears throat> I get that. I get that completely. Somebody told me the other day, they said, if you'd preach like you did Father's Day, there'd be 5,000 people in church. But that person also said, please don't do that. <laughs> No, no, really, I, that message demanded little of us, didn't it? I mean, I, I know, guys, it was for us, and I, I enjoy preaching sermons like that because people like me. It's fun. I mean, it's, it's good. But these are hard. These are hard. But until he comes or till I die, I will always preach his word. I will preach the hard text, the hard, the hard sayings. And moms on Mother's Day, I hope to preach a sermon like I did to the men. And it's okay to do that. I just don't think it's okay to do that every Sunday. And there are people that disagree with me. And they, in fact, they'll tell me, well, my church is bigger than yours. What I'm doing is working. What you're doing is not working. But who's the judge? Is God the judge or is man the judge? Anyhow, uh, by the way, thank you. Thank you for listening. Uh, I want to have an invitation. I want to have a time where we can pray for people and a time where there are some of you here today that need to give your heart to the Lord. You need to be saved. You need to step out of darkness. You need to step into the light. You need the Son of God to come into you and to forgive you because He is interceding now. But one day, He indeed will be judging. Let, let me pray for you and we'll have our invitation. Father, we do thank You. Thank You for Your Word. God, it is powerful. It is strong. It is terrifying. It is thought-provoking. But God, none of these things that happen on planet Earth catches you by surprise. Lord, we don't believe that heaven called a council, emergency council, when the Supreme Court decided five to four that in America, same-sex marriages will be legalized, they will have constitutional rights. God, I know that opposes your word. I know it opposes your heart because you've created marriage between a man and a woman. But I thank you, God that you're not wringing your hands in the heavens going, what am I going to do? What are we going to do? And, and so, Lord, we shouldn't either. We should be trusting. We should be people of faith and people of compassion and people of mercy. Lord, I thank you for what I read last night from Dan Cathy and Chick-fil-A. Strong on marriage, Lord. He is very strong on marriage. But he says, listen, I love everybody. No matter what their creed, their religion, their sexual orientation, no matter what, I love them, and I treat them with honor and dignity and respect, and so do I, Lord. So do I. Thank you, Lord, that we can disagree and not be discriminatory. Thank you, Lord, that we can state our heart and state our mind, but we will do it with humility and with compassion and love. Lord, I pray for our church. I pray that during these days, these last days, God, we'd be strong. Lord, we'd be, we'd be a church that people could go to. And they can say, listen, I want to go there. I want to hear the Word of God. I want to be greeted by those people at Great Hills because I sense in their hearts and in their eyes, yes, they love the Lord and they love, they love Jesus and they believe in the hard stuff, but they also love me and they have compassion toward me. Father, I pray now that you'd bless our church. Lord, I pray for our invitation. I pray, God, that you would dispatch your holy angels all around the perimeter of this church and protect us. Let no harm from Satan himself, Lord, come upon us. No harm from 
some deranged, demonic-filled person. No harm from anybody or anything. God, would you please protect us? And would you bless our invitation now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.